right. Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Man, I am. I love. I love our worship. You guys love our worship. Man, I love getting to introduce new songs, especially when it's one of my favorite songs, and I get to in- exert a little influence on the worship team. How about you guys play this one? I think it'd be perfect. So, love that. Hey, welcome everybody. Glad that you guys are here. If you're a visitor, just a special shout out, special welcome to you. Uh, it means a lot that you're here. You heard Pastor Gabe talk about a little video that we're going to be shooting later. Um, the point of that video is to let people know that we're, at least we're trying to be a little different than a lot of churches. It's so important to us that we have a community, that we feel like a family, not just a place where you go and you can be anonymous for an hour and a half or whatever and, and leave. We want you to feel like you belong here, and that is so important to us. So welcome, welcome to our family. If you have any questions, anything that you'd like to know, or just to to chat and catch up with any of our pastoral staff or anybody, uh, hang out after service, and we'd be happy to hang out with you and and talk to you a little bit. Now, if you are new here, um, this might be a little different of a teaching style or a little bit different format for you in some cases. Uh, I teach what's called expository style for the most part, and what that is I like to let the Word of God speak for itself. The Word of God is, is true. It is 100% accurate. It is life-changing, everlasting, eternal. It's powerful. It's all those things that you can say. And really, as a pastor, for the most part, all I can do is mess it up and confuse things. My job then really is to transmit the Scripture to you as accurately as I possibly can and then help make the meaning clear in some cases. And in a book like The Revelation of Jesus Christ, it's even more important that we take the time to go slowly and look at what it means. Some of the imagery, I talked last week, by the way, if you are new here or you missed last week, Last week was the introduction to this series, which we'll be in all the way up almost until Christmas. Um, I introduced what this book is about, kind of some of the, some of the background of it and some of the, the key points. So if you missed that, you can go back and catch it on our podcast. Uh, you can listen to it right through our website or on Google Play or iTunes. You can catch the podcast. You can go back to that anytime and just kind of brush up on, on some of the background to the book. But one of the things that I keep saying as we go through not only this series, but even previous series, I keep saying that if you're a Christian, you're in a battle. If you're a Christian, you're in a battle every single day. And that battle is with Satan and his demons. And that is very real and it's ever present. But the encouragement that we take away from that is the knowledge that Jesus has already won the war. We know the final outcome, and even though we have struggles coming our way, those slings and arrows that come our way all the time, constantly, it can feel like we're just getting beat up. But we have this assurance that Jesus has already won the battle. Now, that's great if you hear somebody say that and teach that, and you go, amen, I believe that in my heart, but how do we really know that? How do we really know that Jesus has already won the battle? Because a lot of Scripture up to this point is all about how the apostles and various, various teachers telling us, you're going to get beat up. It's going to hurt sometimes. You're going to get persecuted. You'll be outcast, which sounds delightful, right? Who wouldn't sign up for that? But with the knowledge that we have already won the war, how we know that is from this book. We know that because of a vision that was given to an apostle of Jesus Christ by an angel of the Lord. 
That's why revelation is so important. So many people are telling me, I have never heard a study on the book of Revelation. I have never done one. In fact, I have never read the book of Revelation. Because a lot of people, their impression of it is that it's a scary book. The dark horse, uh, the, the pale horse of death, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, fire and brimstone. It's all these things. That is a part of this book, yes. But this book is meant to be a book of hope. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is meant to be a book of hope for those in the Christian church specifically who are being persecuted, who are going through trials, who are living a life on this earth that doesn't always look like this blessed, abundant life that we've been promised. And if you're going through that time, we need encouragement. And this book was actually written to a group of churches to do just that, to encourage them in a time when things were not only were currently bad, they were about to get worse. And this is a book of encouragement, a book of encouragement that God is now and has always been in control. This world isn't spinning out of control. I hear people use that term all the time, and I may have been guilty of that. It's not out of control. The things that are happening are well within our sovereign God's capability, his foreknowledge. He knew this was going to happen, and he made a way for us. That should be encouraging. So as we go into this teaching then, I want to ask a question. Now, if you were here last week and you hear me say this, you have to be silent during this part. For the rest of you, what is one thing that sets this book apart from all the other scripture in the entire Bible? What was that again? You are blessed if you read it. This is the only book that specifically, explicitly says you will be blessed if you read or hear the words. It's amazing. I love that. That puts a premium on this book, doesn't it? For those who have never read it, it's the only one that says you'll be blessed if you hear it or read it, and yet it's probably the least read, at least in its entirety, of all the books in the Bible. So our first scripture for today, let's get into it. Revelations 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Okay, that seems very straightforward. That is rich in things that we need to dig into, though. And I'm going to take just a second, and I'm going to talk about it. First of all, this is meant to be read and or heard in a public church gathering. Okay, a lot of these were written to a specific person to encourage them or for some other format. This book was specifically written to be read in a public church gathering. So you are sitting here as a fulfillment of really what this book was written for. Those who, he who reads and those who hear. Reading or hearing, I'm sorry, hearing that Greek word, and you know I like to pull out Greek every now and then, is the word akuo. That's how it's pronounced anyway. And it means to comprehend by hearing. So it doesn't simply mean just I sat there and I was kind of multitasking and I was vacuuming and I was watching this and I kind of heard it was on in the background. And the... It doesn't mean that. It means to comprehend by hearing. So you need to hear it and understand it comprehension part is, is largely my job. 
and that's what I'm here to do. Now, the other part, who hear the words, words, there are two types of, wor- of words that you see in the Bible. Okay, multiple more, but there's two that I'm talking about here specifically. That is the Logos word of God and the Rhema word of God. Okay, it's the same, it's the same, we call it word, but it's two different meanings. The Logos word of God is the written down, it's what you see in your Bible. When you're reading scripture, you are reading the Logos word of God. It is the same today, yesterday, tomorrow. It is unchanging in its form. It was transmitted by the Holy Spirit to those who wrote it down and who faithfully transcribed what the Holy Spirit was speaking to them. That is the Logos word of God. Now, the rhema word of God is that word that we should all be seeking as believers where the Holy Spirit speaks to you and helps you to interpret, helps you to apply what you've heard in Scripture to your life. So you hear the Logos word. If I read a scripture, you're hearing that Logos word. The rhema word is what the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, you know what that means for you? That means fill in the blank. (coughs) Excuse me. That's what that means. Now, this translation, words, that is specifically the Logos word. That's the translation here. So he who reads and those who hear the words as written in the Bible... And heed the things which are written in it. So, heed the things which are written in it. Makes sense what that is. There's no secret to that. That means take it to heart. Live it. Pay attention to it. If you hear a teaching like this or you hear a scripture like this and it doesn't change how you think about things, are you really heeding the word of God? Now, if you're already living the perfect life and you're, and you're living this to the T, then maybe it won't change your life much. But for most of us, it should. That's what it means to heed. Now, that last part where it says, for the time is near, a lot of people take that and think, okay, according to the numerology that I've been following on this Facebook page, it says it's next Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Okay, time is near. It does not literally mean that. The time is near translates as the opportunity will soon arrive. In this context, it means the opportunity will soon arrive, and when it does arrive, it will come suddenly. Doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. In fact, Scripture tells us very clearly, we don't know when it's going to happen. And so those people who want to dig in and do all this scientific calculation to come up with a date and time, how many times have they been wrong so far? Every time. And they will continue to be until one of them happens to predict the day that the Lord has already chosen, and then they'll be right, and they'll seem like the smartest man for about three seconds. It means a season of opportunity. So, bottom line, your job is to read it and or hear it, but my job is to make it clear. Make it clear to help you comprehend it, and then most importantly, take it to heart and live it. And so that's where we are. So as we get into this scripture, the first thing that I want to do is I just want to pray. I just want to pray for that that clarity. So would you join me in this? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word is recorded for all of eternity. For not only us, but generations before and after have been able to examine the very same word, the revelation of your son, Jesus. 
the ultimate culmination of the kingdom. And Father, we are so thankful that this is available to us. And Lord, as we teach through this, I just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you need us to hear out of that, the blessing that we wish to receive from hearing and understanding and taking this word to heart. Lord, that's what we want. So Father, help us to set aside all the cares of the world, all the noise, all the distraction, and focus on what you have for us today. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this week, the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter one. So if you were here last week and you heard me do the quick setup, this was written by the Apostle John, who happened to be the last living apostle. He was an old man by this time. All of his buddies, all the other apostles had passed away, and John is the last one remaining. And in fact, we find him as he writes this, he has been arrested and exiled to house arrest or island arrest on the island of Patmos, which is a small little island. I picture the scene very much like this. This isn't an actual photo, so just for you know, this is not an actual photo. But that's very much what John, I picture him, he would have looked like. He's very contemplative. He's sitting in this picture. He's on the, on the uh, seashore. Waves are coming in, and he is just... He's in the spirit, Scripture says, we'll see later. And he's transcribing the vision that he receives. So this is what I picture in my mind as I go through and read this. Now, Scripture says that you'll be blessed by hearing. So here's what we're going to do, slightly different uh, than we do sometimes. As we go through the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, we are going to read every single chapter and every single word. So rather than to go through and skip some, which I will when we get into taking the scriptures apart, I'm going to read Revelation chapter 1. It's verses 1 through 20. I'm going to read it top to bottom. Now, those of you who like to take notes and stuff, there'll be time for that later. Right now, I just want you to envision what's happening. And just soak in. And as scripture says, just be blessed. All right, so chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 
I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like a burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. That's it. So in order to be blessed by hearing, we need to understand. We need to understand and take it to heart. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a closer look at some of these passages. We're going to break them apart. Now, I'm not going to read every single passage now and take it apart. Some are connecting thoughts, connecting passages or salutations. We're going to go straight to the the meaty passages here, and we're going to talk about them. So the first one I have here is Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Let's take a second before we go any further and talk about the significance, biblically, of the number seven. We see seven listed and mentioned over and over and over again in the Bible. Many, many times. In fact, anybody know how many times the number seven is mentioned in the Bible? Some deep trivia, right? (laughs) The closest without going over. No, it's 735 times. 735 times, 54 times in the book of Revelation alone, the number seven is used. It's considered the foundation of God's word, and it's, it's, it's descriptive of his blessing. Now, if we include in that count the number of times the word seventh or, um, or any of the different sevenfold, any of the different iterations of that, jumps to 860 times. 860 times the word, the word or the number seven is alluded to in the Bible, and it's important. So there are, there are entire books written on this. I'm only going to hit just a couple highlights. Did you know, if you look at the word seven in relation to Genesis and the creation of the earth, the word seven is used seven times in Genesis about the creation of the earth. Created, sorry, the word created. Not the word seven, the word created is used seven times in the, in the creation account in Genesis. Now, we all know there are seven days in a week. God's Sabbath is on the seventh day, right? 
One really interesting thing that I love is I found a verse. Uh, I didn't find it. It was here. First John chapter 1, verse 5. John, also the author of Revelation, said this. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We've heard that, right? Now, for those, my scientists in the group, if you take a perfect prism and you pass light through that prism, you know how prisms break light into multiple shades or, or uh, spectrum, right? How many different colors of light does pure white light break into through a prism? Seven. In him there is no darkness at all. But he shows us all the different aspects of who he is in that. I love that. I love that. John, now John also had a relationship with these seven churches. That's one of the reasons why he wrote to these particular seven churches. But even in that, we see the sovereign hand of God. So in Asia Minor, in this district, if you will, it's divided when it says seven churches. Each one of those churches is in a major city, and that major city is the, is the central part of a district that the Romans had, an administrative district that the Romans had divided this into. Even in that, we see the sovereign hand of God. The Romans had no leading from the Holy Spirit, at least not as far as they knew, and yet they divided this area into seven churches. That number seven comes up over and over and over again. In fact, let me show you the map again real quick. I showed you this map last week, but those, a lot of people like to see visually what it looks like. These are the seven churches, and then, of course, the island of Patmos down off the coast. That's where John is uh, exiled to as he writes his Jerusalem down in the lower right. This is all modern-day Turkey, what was called, and the Bible just calls it Asia. We would call it Asia Minor today. But this is, this is where we are. It proves that God is now and always has been in control. Even in minor things like that, he's leaving his fingerprint for us to see that a sovereign God is in control. So going back to that scripture again, talking about the seven spirits who are before his throne. Okay, some more imagery there. What are we talking about with the seven spirits that are before his throne? You see a lot of debate. Scholars, again, debate this stuff ad nauseum back and forth all the time about what the meaning is of these things. But I believe that the seven spirits who are before his throne refers to the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever heard about that, it's talked about in several places. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, I'll just read it to you. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Seven aspects of the Holy Spirit, in other words, seven aspects of who God is, will rest on these churches. And we'll find out as we go into the next chapters, two and three, that he is dealing with these seven churches. And each church has its own unique struggle. Therefore, a different aspect of the Holy Spirit is ministering to them in the particular struggle that they're going through. Exodus 25 also gives us another possible glimpse at what he's talking about here with the, with the seven. Um, and it describes a menorah. If you look at Exodus 25, it describes in detail what a menorah looks like. We also find in Zechariah 4.2, where an angel is actually describing this vision, bless you, to, uh, to the prophet Zechariah, and he's describing the word of God as given by the Holy Spirit. 
So we see these different aspects, but it comes together, I believe, in the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about here. Now we continue on through the scriptures, Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Now, I like to use the New American Standard Bible, so if you're new here, you'll see this every now and then, where it's in all capitals. That wasn't your caps lock didn't get stuck on as you were typing this out. That means it's referencing Old Testament Scripture. And that's what we're talking about, this Old Testament Scripture. I'll tell you in a second. It's from Daniel, but I'll uh, put it up there. Let's look at this, though. Every tribe of the earth, or all the tribes of the earth, talk about all people everywhere, okay? That's the way they would have described Everyone on the planet is all tribes of the earth. Every eye and all the tribes of the earth. So there's no people that will be exempt from seeing this. They will see it. The next part I like, though, is this phrase where it says, will mourn. Will mourn, we think of that as as repentance. We would probably call that repentance now. How could you not see Jesus return and immediately repent, right? Right? Unfortunately, that's not what this is saying. Will mourn means to wail as if cut to the heart. This is a wail of pain, a wail of fear, a wail of realizing the time of repentance, that ship has sailed, and I've blown it. And these people are, these people who see him, who don't know him already, are wailing in pain because they realize the mistake that they have made. It's, it's literal fear. Now, the reference there, that all caps in verse 7, is referencing Daniel uh, chapter 7, verse 13. Now, remember, if you were here last week, or even if you weren't here last week, Daniel is the Old Testament apocalyptic literature. So if we talk about Revelation being the apocalyptic or the end of things literature for the New Testament... Daniel would have been that for the Hebrews. Okay, the Hebrew Bible, that's all the Old Testament. They would have seen this as their apocalyptic literature. And Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So this is Daniel seeing that very same vision, but he didn't have the fullness of understanding of who Jesus was going to be. As we see, the the Hebrews, um, they missed it. So John's gospel, by the way, when we go back to even those who pierced him, if you remember in the gospel of John, he was the only one who recorded that episode of Jesus being pierced in the side with a spear. So he's referring back to um, something that he has already written about here. Now let's move on. Next chapter, Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega are letters in the Greek alphabet. Actually, they're the first and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. And I'm not going to even try to give you all the rest of them, but the first and the last, so you can seem super smart. But what Jesus is saying here is I am and have always been. I am the completeness of everything. He is complete And he has always been. And this is what Jesus is saying here. That's meant to give them hope. 
This isn't a new thing. He has always been here, sovereign and in control. Now, that's kind of those first eight verses are kind of the end of the what we call the preface to uh, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to get into the vision itself. Now, this is Revelation, uh, again, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Now, this is John writing this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. This is the beginning of his vision, and he's now hearing the voice of Jesus. If you had, if you had a Bible that has red letters in it, some people don't quite understand what that red letter means. If you have a Bible that has red letters, my version doesn't, this would have been where it trans- transitions over to some red letters. And that means, this is, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus is the one speaking, not the words of, but he's speaking. And right after verse 11, after the word saying, that's all Jesus speaking there. Okay, so he's hearing that. And prophetically, he's seeing, okay, these are, Jesus himself is saying, here's who I want you to write this letter to. And again, as we go on, especially in the next couple weeks, we'll see that there is a very, very good reason why these churches were selected. So let's move on to verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like a burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. That is quite a vision here. In fact, I think we have a, a, a painting very much like what that might have looked like. You see Jesus with the lamp stands. It's hard to see, but he's got the seven stars in his right hand. His feet burnished bronze, and they're glowing, white beard, white hair. And then here we see John just in awe of what he's seeing here. I love that. May or may not be exactly what he saw, but what we see here is we see, remember I told you last week that sometimes revelation goes back and forth between being taken literally and seeing it as imagery. Here what we have is we have a literal description of imagery. So he's literally saying, this is what I saw, and it's imagery. Okay, so what does it represent? As we go on in verse 20, you'll see, because Jesus himself comes out and says, this is what this means. I love it when he does that, by the way. It takes all the guesswork out of it for us, right? Okay, so let's move on. Let's go to Revelation 1, 16. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Let's talk about the two-edged sword. We see that imagery now and then, right? We see that imagery especially in uh, Hebrews 4.12, which says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
we see that the double edge is important. The double edge, what we see here, is the double edge of the Old Testament law and the New Testament law of Christ. We see the Old Testament law, which judges the fleshly sins, okay? And then the New Testament law of Christ, which judges internally our spiritual sins. That's what this double-edged sword is representing here. So moving on, Revelation 1, 17, 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, again, this is the words of Jesus here, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now remember, John was, Scripture says, the, uh, the one who Jesus loved, right? John was actually Jesus' cousin. Very, very familiar with him. When he saw Jesus, he knew immediately who he was. Now, how many of you, upon meeting your cousin, would fall to your feet or fall to your knees in awe? Probably not many of us, right? But John has this experience, this experience of overwhelming awe that the transformed, glorified Christ was almost more than he could bear. And he falls to his knees. It's, it's an overwhelming feeling of unworthiness in the presence of the Lord. And this is what he's experiencing right here. And in fact, if we go back to the book of Daniel again, we see that 600 years before this, Daniel has a meeting with Jesus. And it goes very much the same way. Daniel uh, chapter 10, verses 8 and 9 says, So I was left alone and saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color had turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. That overwhelming, overwhelming sense of awe at this transformed Christ. And then we go ahead to verse 18, not of Daniel, but, uh, but back to Revelation 18. It just simply means that Jesus has overcome death. He has overcome death, and he has broken the dominion of Satan. Now we go on to verse 20. It's the last verse here in, in Revelation 1. Now this is Jesus himself speaking. Again, I love it when he takes the guesswork out of it for us. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You think about that imagery, what does a lampstand do? What's a lampstand supposed to do? It doesn't give light itself. It holds the light. It displays the light. In some cases, it reflects the light. This is what a lampstand does, and this is the job as the church. Our job is not to provide our own light. Our job is to reflect the light of Jesus Christ, to be that place where he is glorified and he is held up for all the world to see. Okay, some scripture says that we are to be the light on the hill, and that just means that by our actions and who we are, we are to reflect Jesus everywhere we go. That's our job as the church. We will never be able to create our own light, but we can reflect the light of Jesus that's in us. 
That's our job. And that's where we are. Now, we go further, the angels of the seven churches. Now, this is argued quite often as well. I want to take just a second and clear this up. The angels of the seven churches. That word in Greek, angels, translates as angelos, okay, which means messenger of God. Simply means messenger of God. And we see that word used over and over again. But there are different versions of this word. Now, I believe that this is not written to an angel. I believe an angel of the Lord, a spiritual heavenly angel, is not going to need a letter of encouragement from an apostle, right? He's in the presence of the Lord. He's been there. He doesn't need that kind of encouragement. Also, an angel of the Lord is not going to be the leader of a church, okay? Some people say it's written to guardian angels of these churches, and that's not what this is. We look closer at that word angelos, and we see this in a couple other places. We see it in Haggai uh, 1.13, and I'll just read the next two to you. It says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. That word messenger, now this is Old Testament, so it's not Greek, it's Hebrew, but it's the same iteration of that word. It means messenger of the Lord. We see this also in Malachi 2.7. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of, hopes, of hosts. Same word. It's that same word. So what it's saying is the angels of these churches, the angels of the seven churches are literally the leaders, the pastors or the priests of these churches. And that's who these letters are being written to. It's important to understand this imagery. Those who have been tasked with with overseeing and taking care of these churches are receiving the blessing of this encouragement. And their job, as stated in the earlier verses, is to transmit that blessing and that encouragement and that message. Does that make sense? That's where we are. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and, uh, and start heading up. So what's it all boil down to? And what's our takeaway from a message like this? Because there's a lot here. So what should we take away? And remember last week, if you were here last week, I taught that it's, it says in uh, Revelation 2.10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Okay, and I kind of joked about it, but you receive a letter that says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. It's got your attention from that point on, right? You want to see what comes next. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. These seven churches that are being written to in the book of Revelation are a perfect microcosm of what we see in the church today. They were selected... Well, they were, they were written about. I don't think they were selected because of this, but God in his... his just mind-blowing dominion over the earth. These seven churches, each one of them is going through their own particular struggle. They have their own individual internal struggles, their own external struggles, their own issues that they're dealing with. And as we go through in the next couple weeks, we'll see each church and how this works. But our church today is no different. Not only this church, but the one down the street and the one in a different state, all churches have their own struggles, their own particular things that they need encouragement with. And so if this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
was given to the Apostle John in order to encourage those churches to hold on, to persevere in the face of persecution, the face of attack, the things of tribulation, the things that come our way that today we read the news and go, it's never been this bad. It's spiraling out of control. Church, that is simply not true. God is and always has been in control and all the way back here thousands of years ago when this was written, those churches were going through the same stuff that we go through now. And the reason that it was written to was, was to encourage them to hold on and to persevere and to be the reflection of the light of Jesus Christ to the world. It was not to shrink back and not to retreat inside your walls to try and be safe. Persevere doesn't mean to just sit and take all the blows that come your way and hopefully you'll survive. It means to take new ground, to advance, to be on the offense, to attack. I was trying to relay this idea. We had VBS last week and it was so so fun to sit down with the little ones and try and relay some of these biblical concepts that did not talk about the pale horse of death to the, to the little ones. But some of these concepts are the same and you try and boil them down to something that a small child can understand. And here's what I said. First of all, I asked them a question. Has anybody ever done anything really, really nice to you that you didn't deserve? done something for you that you didn't ask for and you didn't deserve. Has anybody ever done that? And I heard, my mom stopped for ice cream and I didn't even ask her. And my friend gave me his seat at, at the lunch table. And I hear some really, really sweet things. And then I said, have you ever done anything for someone that they didn't deserve and that they didn't ask for? And I heard similar answers from these little ones. But then I said, do you know Jesus Christ did that same thing for you? He gave himself for you. You didn't ask for it. You didn't even know you wanted it. But he gave himself for you. And the nicest thing that you can do is to pay that forward to your friends. Pay that forward to your family. Let them know of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then I asked them this hard question, which I'll ask you now. I said, do you know Jesus? First and foremost, do you personally know Jesus? Is he, is he your Lord and Savior? And if not, there is every opportunity for you to make him the Lord of your life. It's easy to do. We have a prayer team in the back. And if you're in that place where you're just feeling the tug right now, like I have not done that, I need to do that now. They will be happy to pray with you in the back. But if you can answer that question and say, yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Then I ask the next question, which is your friends, your family, your loved ones, those that you care about most in the world, will they be in heaven with you? If you know Jesus, Bible promises you're gonna go to heaven. He's there right now preparing a room for you. Will your friends be there? That was a harder question for them to ask. And I said, what's our job then? All of them to tell our friends 
about Jesus. And church, I would give you that charge. Our job is to not just simply sit back and take the slings of the arrows and persevere, hold on until the end. It is to continue to take ground for the kingdom of God. For the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our job is to reflect his light and to make sure there's no one we know that doesn't know of him. That's our job, church. It has always been our job. It will continue to be our job until Jesus comes back. Amen? We're going to move into communion right now. If you're new here, we do it a couple of different ways. At the crosses there and there, we have self-serve. It's juice with bread and a cracker or a cracker, and you can just dip it in the juice and serve yourself or serve your family. Up front here, Gabe and I will be up front, and we have wine, and we'd be happy to serve you if you want to come and do that. Same thing, you just dip the cracker in there. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are invited to take communion with us. You don't have to be a member or anything special like that. You just have to want to celebrate what Jesus has done for you and the war that he has already won on our behalf. Amen? Thank you, guys. the rushing wind would you live within my heart heart. through the raging storm would you hold me in your arms arms cause I need you How I need you I need your love like I need water I need your love like I need breath Inside of my lungs Burning my heart just like a fire Come and take me over Jesus, draw me closer to your heart. Through the wind and rain, I can hear you call my name. When the nights get rough, I will still sing out your praise. Cause I need you. How I need you. I need you, love, like I need water. Like I need breath inside of my lungs, but in my heart just like a fire. 
Come and take me over Jesus, draw me closer To your heart Your heart Your heart Closer than my every breath Closer than my every step Closer than the song I sing, closer than anything, closer than my every breath, closer than my every step, closer than everything I sing, closer than anything. I need your love like I need water. I need your love like I need breath inside of my lungs Burning my heart just like a fire Come and take me over Jesus, draw me closer I need your love like I need water I need your love like I need breath inside of my lungs Burning my heart just like fire Come and take me over Jesus, draw me closer Your heart Your heart Your heart Your heart, come and take me over, Jesus draw me closer.